or um, he just needed some time away. Um, but I love Brandon. Um, in fact, I was joking with him a couple of uh, days ago. We were talking on the phone, and I said, Hey, Brandon, uh, what do you think about the following names? Either Front Ridge or Bridgeline. He started laughing. I'm like, no, seriously, like, we could do like a merger, and like, we can just take the, the city by storm. See, our church's name is going to be Frontline. And so I thought, hey, Bridgeline or, or Front Ridge. And so, but he, he didn't quite go for that yet. Um, and, and I told him, I said, hey, listen, I learned from a really strong leader one time that I don't take no for an answer. Now, that goes back to about three years ago. Brandon and Connie were sitting in our um, dining room with us and having dinner, and they were asking us to consider being a part of the bridge at that point before the launch. And he said, before I get started, just know I don't take no for an answer. So I pulled that back on him and just said, hey, just so you know, Brandon, I don't take no for an answer. And he then said to me on the phone, well, I'll give you the same answer I got that night. Not right now. And so uh, it, is a, it is a joy to be here. I love what God is doing here. I love what um, God is doing in this city in the work of new churches being birthed. Uh, this year alone, uh, from June until probably next June, there'll be another 11, 12 churches that will launch in this city, all around the city. And I just think that is just a tremendous thing. A lot of people say, Stephen, why another church? on the west side of Wichita. And if you're from the west side of Wichita, or you've been to the west side of Wichita, you will see that no matter where you go, you can almost find another church in every block. Here's what I'm convinced, though. Here's what our launch team for Frontline Church is convinced of. is that on a, a three-mile-wide by six-mile-high area, there are 89,000 people that live in that area. And if we were to give a high estimate of 25% of those people engage, engaged in a church period, that still leaves well over 60,000 people just in our little part of Wichita that are disengaged from the work of what Jesus is doing. I can't sleep with that. If every church on the west side of Wichita believed that the gospel was true and they were living in community and they were investing into their neighbors, if every church was doing that, there are not enough seats in the churches on the west side alone to house all those other 60,000 plus people to be in the church. And so whether you're on the west side or you're in downtown or you're in towards the east side, there are lots of people in this city that do not know Jesus. And we're going to continue to go after them. And I love the fact that we get to be a part of what the bridge is doing and what Journey the Way and what many of the other churches in this city have said is we need to go after those who are broken and need Jesus. And so uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, 23 years that we've been in the church, involved in student ministry, and um, the scariest and yet most humbling so far experience and journey that I've been a part of. Because what you'll hear today and what has been a reminder for me, and I hope a reminder for you, the folks here at Bridge, that it's about Jesus. So let's pray. God, as we open up your word today, may we be transformed not by the words or wisdom of any uh, human being, but may we be transformed in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives because of what you are doing in us 
and through your word. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. We pray these things. Amen. If you would stand with me, we are going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open up this passage with me. Beginning in verse 13, to kind of set the stage, Jesus has just called out the Pharisees and the scribes. Like, he had just called them out, saying, beware of them, all right? And so he says these things, he calls them out by name or by responsibility and title. And then in 13, it says this, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He, Jesus, said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to, to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say, neighbor, it is not about you. Neighbor, it is not about you. Neighbor, it is about Jesus. Now, if you fall asleep this morning and you miss nothing else, you got the main point, all right? If you decide to walk out early, don't worry. The camera's on. Brandon will know. He'll check with you later about it. But I want you to get up front. It is about Jesus. Conversions are about Jesus. This world, whether they know it or not, is about Jesus. The church is about Jesus. Growth is about Jesus. It is about Jesus. So what I want you to hear right up front, and you're going to hear all the way through, it is about Jesus. See, Jesus asked a very strategic question to his disciples. This question that he asked was, who do they say I am? You see, Jesus had been performing miracles at this point. He had been doing great signs and wonders. He was gaining notoriety. He was becoming famous. And so he asked his disciples, Hey, disciples, who do they, the culture, the people, who do they say I am? This was important for a couple of reasons. The first thing it did is it probably was perhaps testing the disciples. Do they know what the culture is saying? That's important for us to understand. 
Because we need to know what the culture is saying. We need to know the pulse the culture has on the church. What the culture has as far as an understanding of who Jesus is. And they give answers. Well, hey, some people think you're John the Baptist. You've come back. Some people believe, Jesus, that you are Elijah or that you are Jeremiah. You see, the culture had an opinion of who Jesus was. The Pharisees and the scribes had an opinion as to who Jesus was. So what does our culture today say about who Jesus is? Some people in our culture will say, hey, Jesus was a good man. I have some contention with that. Because in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. So Jesus is declaring all authority has been given to me from heaven. That he is the only way, the truth, and the life. And he can't simply be those things and only a good man. You following? Are you tracking? He can't be those things. He can't have all authority. He can't be the Christ, the Messiah, and be just a good man because he would be a liar if he was only a good man. Some would say he did great signs and great wonders. Some would say he was like God. Some would say, hey, he liked kids. He was mysterious. Some would say he was a peaceful man. Some would read parts of Scripture and say he was angry and he was judgmental. He was a troublemaker. But Jesus said, who do they say I am? For those of you that know soccer, in soccer from the 70s, you'll be familiar with Pele. And Pele said this, Wherever you go, there are three icons that everyone knows. Jesus Christ, Pele, and Coca-Cola. Pele put himself in the ranks of Jesus. Nietzsche who wrote a, ba, a book called uh, The Gay Science. And in there, he describes a madman who runs into a city, and he's cr- crazily yelling, God is dead, God is dead. And for so many of us in the Western church, we have turned Nietzsche into this sort of um, atheist, um, anti-church, anti-Jesus. And he was those things. But what happens is we really miss the point that Nietzsche was trying to declare is that what the, what the Eastern Church, the German Church in particular, was doing to Jesus, he was saying, this Jesus is dead. But he says this about Jesus. Jesus died too soon. He would have taken back his own doctrine if he had lived to my age. So who does Nietzsche say Jesus is? A man who got it wrong. 
a man who was dishonest, a man who lived too short to take back his own doctrine. So who do your friends, who do your neighbors, the people you work next to, the people that you live next to, the people that you do life next to that do not know Jesus as their Savior, who do they say Jesus is? Have you had the conversation with them? Do you even have a pulse as to what they are thinking about Jesus? Because my guess is this, is that we have begun to see a whole new generation of people who don't even know Jesus. You see, when I was a kid, most of my peers at least had a relative, an uncle, an aunt, an aunt, a grandparent, a cousin, who went to church. And at some point along the way, you'll hear stories that, hey, at least they were dragged to church by grandma a couple times a year. But we live in a culture now where we have a whole generation of kids who have nobody in their world who drags them to church, who sings about Jesus, who talks about Jesus to them. And so for some, when we ask that question of who do they say Jesus is, a new question or a new answer emerges, and that is, I don't know Jesus. Who is Jesus? And that's a frightening reality that we live in. And so the question that Jesus asked forces the disciples to discern what are the people talking about. It puts them in a position of listening and being aware and engaging culture. You see, as the church, we want to engage the culture when the culture shows up. That we simply expect if we're going to put up a sign, we're going to throw out a few Facebook ads, that the culture is going to come to us. Hey, why not? We got the answers. We've got Jesus. We've got great music. And by the way, hey, um, I don't know where the organist is, but after today, I want an organ. Like, I want an organ in our church. Jason and I were just talking about that. And so, totally off the record, if you're for hire, let me know, all right? Brandon says that you're ascending church, all right? So let's put that to test. All right, just kidding, Brandon. All right, but seriously, like, we do all of these great things in here, and we have incredible worship, and you have incredible teaching week after week, People who bring the word because they believe the word is true. But yet, most of the time, the people in our neighborhoods are not getting up on a Sunday morning saying, hey, I have nothing better to do. I want to go check out that church. And so that puts us in a position of getting in the culture. Because Jesus wants us to get in the culture. People matter to Jesus. Lost people matter to Jesus. People who have not been restored and redeemed by Jesus, they matter to him. And if they matter to him, they better matter to us. Because let me just be honest with you, we don't need to fill the church with more Christian people. We need to fill the church with more broken people who come to know Jesus. And when they come to know Jesus, the church grows 
and it changes. Why? Because it is Jesus who is doing the work of transformation. It is Jesus who is doing the calling. It is Jesus who is doing the transforming work. It is Jesus who is doing the growth. And so when Jesus asked this group of disciples, who do they say I am? It puts them in a position of being in the culture. So Jesus was here today, in person, and he said, who does your neighbors say I am? Do you know your neighbors well enough? Do you know your coworkers well enough? Do you know the people that you work out next to, or you shop next to, or you go to the dog park next to, whatever it is that you do in your spare time, do you know those people well enough that you would know what they would say if you ask the question, who is Jesus? We have got to engage our culture. Our culture is not going to show up to us. We can't wait. There's too much at stake. About four years ago, uh, my grandfather, um, who didn't know Jesus, was starting to die. He'd inherited you know, some money. It wasn't a ton of money. Um, he'd inherited about $35,000, $40,000. And he was going to go to Foxwood Casino. It's a casino over in Connecticut. And basically, he was going to spend all of his money he'd inherited, and then he was going to die. Like, that was his plan. Like, I'm going to go have a good time. One last hurrah. He came down with pneumonia and ended up in the hospital beforehand. He never made it home. Never made it to the casino to spend the last $30,000 that he had to his name. There was a weight on my shoulders. There was a weight on my dad's shoulders, on a couple of my uncles and their shoulders, because we, knowing Jesus, knew the eternity that my grandfather was heading to. And I remember talking to him about four days before he passed away, and I said, Gramps, you need to trust Jesus. I remember him saying to me, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And I say, Grandpa, you don't, you don't need to be good enough. You'll never be good enough. He said, oh, I just want to be with Bunny. Bunny's my grandma. Just want to be with Bunny. Gramps, Nana's with Jesus. Nana trusted Jesus Christ to forgive her of her sins. Gramps, you're not going to be good enough. You need to trust Jesus. As near as I can tell, my grandfather slipped into eternity without knowing Jesus. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. 
But he had a choice. He heard the truth for years and years. I don't tell you that story for you to feel bad. I tell you that story that you would hold deeply the conviction that your neighbors who have a different opinion other than Jesus being Christ the Messiah, their eternity is going to be very different than yours if you've trusted Jesus. And you need to allow margin in your life to go after them. So that when you ask them, who is Jesus? Your response will be the same as Peter's. You see, Jesus turned that question on his disciples. And he says this, but who do you say I am? But who do you say I am? These men had been walking with Jesus. These men had seen Jesus perform miracles. They had been listening to Jesus preach. They had seen the way Jesus had been living. And so this question was pivotal moment. This question was key. Because now he wanted to see, did they fully get who Jesus was? And Peter said this, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. And Jesus responds to him by saying this, blessed are you. It's kind of sort of like saying, hey, way to go, Peter. You got it right. You figured it out. All of the things that I've done, all of the things that I've said, you figured out who I am. And then he says this, it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed this to you. It was my Father in heaven. You see, Peter revealed, Peter demonstrated that the work of God in Peter's life revealed to him who Jesus was. And then Jesus says this, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And a lot of confusion has happened around this statement, upon this rock. You see, it is upon the witness, it is upon the testimony, <clears throat> it is upon the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the living God. And that is what the truth, that is what the church will be built upon. I want to pause there for a moment because I think it's really important for us to understand this. Because far too often, we believe it is us. It is our works. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, it really is not about you. Neighbor, it's about Jesus. You see, this is a good reminder for us. You see, it is Jesus who is doing the work. You see, Jesus says it right here. He says it in this text. He says, hey, it is upon this testimony. It is upon me. It is upon me who is doing the work. I am causing the growth. I will build my church, he says. 
It is not Stephen Christian. It is not Brandon Reddick that is doing the work. It is not us who are planting great churches. It is God who is planting great churches in this city for his glory. Because the moment Brandon Reddick or Stephen Christian or any other pastor in this city builds a great church, that church will crumble. Because it's been built by the hands of man who are sinful and depraved and we're egotistical driven. We will crumble it. We will destroy it. It is Jesus who does the work. And he chooses to use us. I can't figure that out. I don't know why he uses guys like Brandon and myself and the many other pastors in the city because we're not worthy to be used. John Piper says it best like this. Missionaries and pastors are people who are followers of Jesus who are willing to take the good news to people everywhere. But he uses engineers and doctors and teachers and, pa and parents and neighbors and real estate agents to speak the truth. But it is Jesus who does the work. It is Jesus who builds his church. And we need to understand that and we need to grasp that because when we understand that and we start to grasp that, we start worrying about, we stop worrying about doing all sorts of marketing gimmicks. We don't need to do big giveaways to see people come to know Jesus. We need to get out there and love our neighbors. We don't need to promise people the world if they show up to our church. We need to give them Jesus. Like, it's not going to be even our great music. And you can have the greatest talent up here. And there's fabulous talent up here. But I promise you, it is not the fabulous talent up here. It's not the sweet keyboards and the bass guitar. And that was an incredible bass. It is not the drumming. It's not the vocals. It is not these things that will save people. It is Jesus. And if we don't get that, we are simply putting ourselves out as the saviors of this world. And it's Jesus who said, I have come to save the lost. It's Jesus who said, I will build my church. He didn't say, go ahead and do a sweet marketing campaign and then I'll build my church on that. Go ahead and have a credible worship team and I will build my church on that. Go ahead and have an incredible pastor who does amazing preaching and I will come and piggyback off of him and build my church. He said, no, I will build my church because I am Christ, the son of the living God. You see, he then chooses to use sweet worship teams that lead us into the presence of God. He then chooses to use people who are gifted in communicating God's word to bring glory to God and point people to Jesus. Then he chooses to use <clears throat> great graphics and all sorts of other creative works of art to draw people to himself. But it's not those things. It's not music plus. It's not graphics plus. It's not speaking plus Jesus. It's Jesus. 
It is Christ alone. It is Christ alone. And we've got to get that church. Because we can be a large church and we can be doing great things in our city, but if they're absent of Jesus, we have nothing. We have given our city nothing. There are lots of great organizations that are doing great things for people in this city. But they're absent of Jesus. We're not the Rotary Club. We're not the Knights of Columbus. We're not any other civic organization in this city. We are the bride of Christ. And he is building us and he is transforming us to do his work for his glory, to see him draw people to himself. To see marriages that are broken restored. To see people who have been on the streets broken living for him. A number of uh, years ago, about four years ago, I took a group of kids, high school students, to New York City to um, work with um, various ministries that were um, working to see uh, social injustices um, being uh, challenged and changed for God's glory. And the mission organization we went gave us a tour guide or a mission guide for the week. And basically, it was so that we wouldn't get lost. I mean, like, we're, like we walked all over the city, 12, anywhere from 12 to 17 miles in a week. Uh, we were the, our group was the first week up there, and so our tour guide was actually brand new himself. He, I'll be honest, he really didn't know anything about New York City. Um, he had GPS on his phone that got us around. We got extremely lost. And um, more, more, most of the time, we were on the phone calling the mission group that we were going to help or the ministry we were going to help, saying, hey, we got lost. We would throw we. We didn't want to throw our mission guide under the bus. But I got to see a guy who was on fire for the Lord that week. About a year and a half later, he moves here to Wichita, excited and ready to see God do great things in his life in the church. And then the culture grabbed a hold of him. And this young man's world came crashing down because he couldn't lead a life following Jesus and a life engaged in the world. And so he ran. And he ran and he ran as far away as he could from people who loved him, from the church, from Jesus. But you can't outrun Jesus. Look at your neighbor one more time. Say, you can't outrun Jesus. He's too fast for you. I want to invite up Jason for a moment. Jason, would you come up here? We're going to grab a microphone back here. I didn't tell the sound guys this, but um, no number. We're going, to, we're going to push this little button. It looks like a power button. Um, this is Jason. Jason was that mission tour guide that got us lost. 
multiple times. Uh, Jason was that young man who was on fire for Jesus, wanted to do great things. He was that man that walked away. But what Jason didn't realize was that Jason was not faster than the Holy Spirit. Jason, I want you just to take a moment. I want you to share not what the church has done for you, not what Frontline Church has done for you. I want you to share what God has done in transforming you. I did get us lost a lot. Let me say that. <laughs> when, I, when I came up here, I really thought that following Jesus was going to be easy. You ever thought that? You ever thought following Jesus, like, this is going to be great. Just as Stephen said, I really couldn't separate culture from Jesus, and, and I fell into the world. And What I found out was the Holy Spirit is moving in concert. I ran, I ran really far. In fact, I ran to the very bottom of Texas, and I was there, and uh, God began to stir up in me, and I, I began to start thinking, God can't love me because I'm not enough. You ever thought that? Show of hands. You ever thought that? Yeah, because that's where I was at. I was in this really, really low place of God can't love me because I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I haven't done enough. And what I started to realize was that I was taking Jesus away from his throne. You know, Jesus is sitting on that throne, amen? amen. I started to take him away from that. I started to, to realize that I, I was the one in control of my destiny instead of letting the Holy Spirit move. And so 16 hours away, I haven't talked to this guy because I thought he was going to judge me. The very person that Jesus had put in my life to mentor me, to lead me to him, I thought he was going to judge me for the things I'd done, for the things that he'd known that I was trying to hide. And what I, what I found out was, is the Holy Spirit moves in concert. And this whole time, he was leading me to him. And so I, I'm jumping in scripture. If you're not in scripture, I don't think you're going to understand what God's saying about you. I don't think you're going to understand what God's doing in this world, how much he, he truly chases after you day in and day out, but what I, 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 I was on my knees and I was saying, God, what, what next? Like, I've done everything else for you. I've, I've, I feel like I've given you all my time, and I felt God just simply say, you haven't given me you. You haven't given me yourself. And so I make that humbling call to Stephen, and, and, and I thought, I, I swore up and down he was going to say, you idiot, I don't want to see you again. Why, why, when I've given, when I've put so much time and effort into you and you just ran away? Instead, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was working in me to take a step towards Jesus was working in Stephen over 16 hours away. The same Holy Spirit was telling him, love, give grace. I say that just to say that God is moving in a place where as, as he's calling me to surrender, he's also working in his people, in the church, that I wouldn't be put to shame or, or, or shunned, but I would be loved. You see, God was transforming my heart, and I didn't think, I didn't even begin to think that he'd be transforming Stephen's heart for me and the church's heart and other people that had poured into me. As soon as I came back up here, it was like, it was like running to God. He, everybody was hugging me like, it is so good to see you. It's not about the church, but it's about the Holy Spirit 
what God's going to build his church on, the very rock, was moving in my life, even after I felt like I was in a place where I, I was with him, and I ran, and I thought, well, surely he wouldn't want me, but the same Holy Spirit that was working in me was working in him for his glory. And that's my story. Thanks, Jason. Back in August, Jason moved back up here. And um, about 2 a.m., I got a phone call. Uh, I don't like 2 a.m. phone calls, by the way. I got a phone call. I needed to go over to his apartment. And I just had a man-to-man conversation. Like Jason at one point said afterwards, I really thought you were going to deck me that night. I'm like, actually, I really thought I was going to deck you. Um, In Jesus' love, by the way. I remember looking at him and just saying, Jason, this is your moment. We're not running from you. We're not giving up on you. Jesus is not giving up on you. But you've got to decide, Jason, who is Jesus? Because you cannot live for yourself and live for Jesus. You see, we as the church, we've got to remember that. We can't show up here on Sundays think that we do our little thing here and we walk out the door and we think that's good. Brendan Manning once said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians. Because we acknowledge Jesus with our lips and we walk out those doors and we deny him by our lifestyle. And that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, I would contend one piece of that, and that I really believe that it is Satan who is blinding them to cause them to respond that way. But we as a church, we don't help. There's got to be something different by the way we love people. Because if Jason came up here and he chose to walk away from Jesus... It wasn't going to be because of the people of Frontline were going to give up on him. It wasn't because the people of Frontline weren't going to speak truth and life and gospel into his world. It was going to be because he chose to walk away. But we as a church, we're going to be reminded that it is Jesus who is on the throne. It is Jesus who does the transforming work. It is Jesus who is building his church. It is Jesus who will build into his life in the life of people. It is Jesus who is building into the lives of people that walk into your doors on Sunday morning and into your life groups and into your homes and into your cubicles at work. And so when Jesus asked that question to Peter, it was absolutely critical. And Peter's answer was profound, that you are Christ the Son of the living God. Now, that doesn't mean we are without responsibility. Jesus says, yeah, it is me who plants my church. It is me who builds my church. I am the one doing the work, he says. But we, as a church, have a responsibility. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 18. (coughs) Excuse me, Matthew 28. Jesus says this. Now it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they had saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. He's telling them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you. You see, we got a responsibility, church. We've got a responsibility. Yes, Jesus is doing the work. Jesus is the one drawing humanity to himself. Jesus is building, but he has called us to be a part of that. I don't understand that. Because quite frankly, most of the time, when you and I get involved in something, we mess it up. Like, we begin to start thinking, it's about us. Hey, it's about me. Look at me. Look at my talents. Look at my ability. Look at my speaking abilities. Look at my singing abilities. Look at my serving abilities. Look at the way I, I, uh, I do kids ministry. Or look at the way I love my neighbors. You see, we even turn that into, I'm a good neighbor lover. Like, I love my neighbors. I do it better than anybody else. Like, we can turn great things into really poor attitudes. And that's why it's important that when we do these things, we are reminded that it is about Jesus. And Jesus tells us in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. And by the way, that's not Jesus saying, hey, listen, if you've got some extra time, church, go love on your neighbors. If you've got some extra time, church, go see if couple people come to know me as my savior. Hey, if you feel like a church, go ahead and do this. Hey, if you have nothing better to do after you go to the movies, church, go, you know, maybe tell a few people about Jesus. You got a couple extra minutes at work? Yeah, go ahead and tell people about me, Jesus. Like, he's not saying that here. Like, this is a command. And we need to feel the weight of Jesus' words here that he is commanding he is expecting, church, we will go. Church, we will make disciples. Church, we will see people baptized in the name of Jesus. Church, we will teach our culture about who Jesus is. You see, he's expecting us to do these things. Like, he's not saying, church, sit passive. Just sit by and watch me do all the work. What he is saying is, do these things in my name. Do these things and bring me, Jesus, glory. Make Jesus famous. And so when Jesus says, all the way back in chapter 16, and he, saw, and he says to them, it is I who is building the church. Understand all of that in context. That while he is building the church, while he is doing the work, He's choosing to use us. He's not saying when you're qualified, when you've got your life perfect, when you've got everything together, I will use you. That's not what he is saying. Acknowledge him as Christ the Lord. He will use you to build his church. And then he says this. And the gates 
of hell will not stand against it. The gates of hell will not prevail. I don't know about you, but that is extremely comforting and profound. Because let me tell you something. If you're doing the work of the Lord, Satan's coming after you. He's coming after you. Like if you're not, if you're not telling people about Jesus and, and your faith is not challenged and it's just this sort of casual Christianity, hey, Satan's got you right where he wants you. You're not a threat. Carol and I, back in April, we were uh, going through assessment for church planting. And one of the things that uh, was impressed upon the assessors was that we, our family, our church, needed to be keenly aware that we were going to experience spiritual attack. And I've got to be honest with you, uh, my words were yes, I, I get that, I understand that, I expect that, but I didn't get it. You see, when God is up to something, Satan will do whatever he can do to thwart it. Whatever he can do to discourage you, whatever he can do to keep you running after the things of God, that's what he'll do. And what we've consistently seen over the last six months of planting this church is that Satan is coming after us. And he is working hard. He is working overtime. God's doing incredible work here with the bridge in this part of the city. And Satan would love nothing more than to destroy the work that God is doing. But I've got good news, my friend. Satan will not prevail. Satan will not destroy what God is a part of. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that Satan is, is not capable of destroying what God is doing? Because if you don't believe that, you need a reality check. That yes, Satan has a lot of control and he has a lot of power and he's got a lot of demons working on his behalf, but I'm here to tell you today that all that Satan can bring will not shut the church of Jesus Christ down. Because it is Jesus' church that he is building, that he is working towards seeing our culture, our city, redeemed for his glory. Now, he might not choose to use the bridge or frontline church forever. We might be a season that he chooses to use us. But for as long as he chooses to use churches like ours in this city, we need to know that Satan will not win. That God will win. That God will continue to restore marriages. That God will continue to restore young men like Jason, drawing them to himself. And what he wants us, the church, to do is to be on mission to love our city in the name of Jesus, to serve our city in the name of Jesus, to speak truth to our city in the name of Jesus. So that God would be glorified and Jesus would be made famous.
John 3, 36 says this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But they'll receive the wrath of God. I want my neighbors to experience the life-transforming work of Jesus in their lives. We are called to die to ourselves. If following Jesus isn't costly, then we're not following Jesus in the way he intended for us to follow him. Once you hear that again, if we're not following Jesus and it's not costly, then we're not following Jesus the way he intended for us to follow him. In that same passage in verse chapter 16 of verse 24 and 25, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, there's life in Jesus. Jesus is building his church and he desires to go and run after people of all tribes, of all races, of all languages. And he wants us to be a part of what he is doing. So who do you say Jesus is today? Is your answer the same as Peter's? Is Christ, that he is Christ, the son of the living God? Or is your answer, he's simply a good man who did good things, who gave us some good things to follow? If that's your answer, my challenge for you today is this, is that you would see that there is no life apart from Jesus. That when Jesus said, I am the way, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him, that you would see that and believe that today. For those of you who have made a decision to follow Jesus, and those of you who say, yeah, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, how are you living? Are you giving your neighbors a story that they want to follow? Are they seeing something in you that is different than what they've got? Are you living on journey? Are you living on mission? You see, it's easy, 
I don't say easy, but we like to think it's easy to send people overseas as missionaries. We love to throw money at missions overseas. That's easy for us to do, actually, because, hey, we could throw money to it. We can support those organizations. It's a different story when we become the church. Because when Jesus said in Matthew 28, go, therefore, and make disciples, he wasn't saying, hey, go over to that country and make disciples. He was saying, get up out of your seat and go to your cubicle next door to you and love your neighbor and tell your neighbor about Jesus. He was saying, spend time with your neighbor who lives next door to you in the house next door, the apartment next door, and invest into them and share Jesus with them. You see, we have got to do that. It is critical. I don't know how much time we have left in this world. I don't know how much time my neighbors have or some of my family who don't know Jesus. Those last four days of my grandfather's life, I knew his time was short. There was an intensity. See, there's a reason why we're calling ourselves Frontline Church. If you ever watched a good battle movie or a war movie, and you see the people that are on the front lines, like there's an intensity about what they're doing. You don't show up to the front of a battle scene like, all right, let's go, let's fight this thing, let's get this over with. No, those people that are on the front line, you see it in their eyes, you see the intensity because what they're about to do matters. They're literally defending their whole country. They're fighting for the people that are standing behind them because if the people on the front line don't do the job, they're not doing the work of Jesus. The people behind them will pay for it. And so what we do in this city matters. You are demonstrating the bridge of hope from darkness to life by pointing people to Jesus. So you get to call yourselves the bridge. So my challenge for you this week is be the bridge. Don't wait for Pastor Brandon to beg you. Don't wait for Pastor Brandon to get up here and say, hey, you need to love your city. Don't wait for Pastor Brandon to do it all or Pastor Josh. Like, he doesn't say, hey, pastors, go and make disciples. Hey, he says, go. All of us make disciples. He is building his church. He is doing the work. And he just simply says, hey, go be the church. Go share my name and my hope to a hopeless and dark world, dark city. And I firmly believe that when churches like yours and ours continue to do that, and there are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of churches that are doing that in this city. When we continue to do that, and we continue to fight injustices, and we continue to show the hope of Jesus, this city will be a different place. Let's not wait for our government officials to get it right to see Jesus prevail. Let's not see, wait 
and see the foster care system or the medical care system or any of the other agencies that are trying to do good in our city. Let's not wait for them to do good. Let us go in the name of Jesus, loving our neighbors, seeing Jesus build his church. And when we do, church, the gates of hell will not be able to stand against that because we're doing it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, our, our culture has lots of things that they think about you, that they say about you. But our culture has totally missed the mark. And Father, I have to confess, there are plenty of times where we as the church think it's about us. We think it's about what we bring to the table. We think it's about our gifts, our skill sets. We even think it's about our money. That if we just had more money or we just gave more money or we just had a better marketing technique or we just had this or more of that. And Father, I confess there are times when we have allowed those things to cloud our hearts and our minds and to get in the way. And so God, forgive us when we have allowed those things to get in the way. May we run after you May we see that this is your church, that you are doing the work. And you choose to use pastors and missionaries and engineers and doctors and moms and dads and grandparents and teachers. You choose to use us. And so, Father, we humbly go out this week in the name of your son, Jesus, on mission, declaring Jesus as Lord and making disciples. May our city not be the same place at the end of this week because of what your church was willing to do in your name by bringing you glory. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our Savior, who is Lord, and the one we treasure. Amen.